Several years ago, my husband and I moved from Milwaukee, Wisconsin to St. Louis. We had just been married nine months at the time. He quit his job. We had a really big party and said a lot of really hard goodbyes. We packed our car and we arrived in St. Louis knowing nobody. And quite frankly, we didn't even know anything about this city. We had heard like maybe they had a winning baseball team. I don't really know. The American Airlines was the hub and it landed us here. Little did we know that God had a lot in store for us. My job was such that I traveled a lot during the week. And so on the weekends, we would do things like, you know, go to a restaurant and try to make friends with the waitress because who doesn't do that? We didn't know anybody. Or we would go walking through the mall and like smile at friendly faces like, oh, hi, you want to be friends? It's great. And on occasion, we would respond to this social invitation. Needless to say, my relationships were really wide, but they weren't really deep. And I was lacking that intimacy of anyone knowing who I was. Our marriage at the time was a mess. We were in the thick of hardship, but nobody knew. Because anyone that would ask would would get the happy face. Of course they would. Oh, St. Louis is great. Everything's amazing. Life's so good. It's amazing. It's fine. It's great. Everything is good. And no one knew the struggle that was going on inside. Or when we would on occasion respond to the social invite, It would usually end badly for us because we're in the car jabbing one another like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you told that story. They're going to think we're totally fill in the blank. Or that was so personal. Why did you share that? As we're fighting one another in the car for making each other look bad. I often found myself in a room laughing and enjoying people, but still feeling completely unseen and completely unknown. No one knew me enough to look in my eyes and to know that I wasn't okay. No one knew me enough to even ask. Or no one knew me enough to look in my eyes and realize that call had come in, that struggle was happening again, that relationship was broken. No one knew me. And I was felt, I left feeling unseen and unknown. I want to make sure that you feel seen. That you know that God sees you. It's evident from the words that have been coming all weekend. Alyssa kicked us off last night, reminding us of our desperate need for God and community and through the workshops and the devotional and worship. I think we can all agree that God is speaking to us. There were so many words brought this morning during worship and they were all so similar because God is after us. He sees us and he knows us. And I believe that he wants to tell us, daughters, I see. I see you, beloved. I see you. And I know you. And I love you. And I see it all. And as we wrap up this conference, I want to make sure that no one leaves without knowing that you know that you know. Not just that you know, but that you know that God sees you. It can be easy to hear messages like this, right? And think like, that's not for me. Those promises, that truth, that's not for me. That's for someone else. Either because you've counted yourself out or you feel unworthy. It's possible that God has started to stir something in you this weekend. You might feel that little prick. You might feel that stirring and you could actually miss it. Maybe because you feel like he's taking too long or maybe because of something you've done or haven't done. And as I thought about my own story, I realized that this was not just an isolated moment because I was the new girl in town, but this is actually an ongoing struggle in my life. And the longer I live, the more I realize 
I'm actually not that special. (laughs) And there's really nothing that unique about me. I think that as women, it is so easy for us to be in a room like this. You could be here this weekend and to be totally connected and yet feel completely unseen. You show up at youth group, or youth, youth group, you show up at community group, you share life, you do all the things, but no one knows about that secret, deep, hidden ache. And maybe because you haven't taken that risk of vulnerability. Alyssa was talking about those dark places in our heart last night. Maybe you haven't invited someone in because it's ugly and it's messy and it's unlovely. Or maybe you keep people away and you haven't shared that deep disappointment that continues to rise or that deep ache or that unanswered prayer that you're living with. Whether you're feeling unseen because you're the new girl in town, and that's true, there are new people with us this weekend and we're so glad you're with us. Or because you're living with these deep hidden things in your heart. I think we all know what it's like to have an ache of wanting to be seen and wanting to be known and yet so broken in the process. There are two women in the Bible that have helped me to see that no matter how long he takes and no matter what I've done or I haven't done, that he still sees me. Let's take a quick look at Sarah in Genesis chapter 12. We first meet Sarah, and she is the wife of Abraham. And together, Abraham and Sarah have received this unbelievable promise that their descendants will be as many as the stars in the sky. Sarah's, she's a godly woman. She's living with these incredible promises about her future, except now she's 70. No baby. She's 80. No baby. 90, still no baby. She's childless and living with this deep ache. God said she would be the princess to all. And she's living with that hope and that promise. And yet year after year after year, it goes unfulfilled. She's probably cried out to God, why won't you answer my prayers? Why won't you satisfy this longing I have in my heart? Why have you given me these things if you're not going to answer them? God, don't you see me? And I can just hear her wrestling with him year after year after year as apathy and doubt and bitterness start to settle in. It is so much easier to blame someone and to be mad than it is to sit in our own pain. Hope deferred made her heart sick, and she no longer saw God as the promise giver, but rather the promise taker. If you look at what she says in Genesis 16 too, she says, the Lord has prevented me from having children. God, you're the one causing my pain. You're the one making me suffer. It's you, God. It's your fault. Wow. That's a long way off from the place of hope that she once was. And unfortunately, it's a journey that I have taken and I know too well. But the great thing is, let's look at how God responds. In his loving kindness in chapter 16, he sends three men into camp to restore and renew the promise that he had given and to remind Sarah and Abraham that God's promise was and his plan was that through them would come a great nation, that through him would cut through them would come his chosen people. And this time, these guys come into camp and they get specific. They're like, this time next year, Sarah is going to have a baby. 
Can you imagine? She's been living for decade after decade after decade with this promise in her heart and these men show up and they're like, this time next year. I could just imagine she would be so excited. This ache that she's been living with, she's just been told she like can make a calendar and pull off the little rings and like countdown has begun. Bring it on, God. But instead, we take a look at how she responds. Sarah laughs. She laughs. She hears this promise reminded that a great nation, God's chosen people, descendants as great as the stars are going to come from them. And it's going to start in one year. And she laughs. And it's not this like, woohoo, that's amazing, I'm so excited kind of laugh. It's not even the out loud like, you guys are funny kind of laugh. It is the deep quiet in her soul. Even hearing them say this hurts me so much because I have lived with such hopelessness and such a broken heart for so long that hearing you say that breaks my heart. And she laughs. It's the kind of laugh that reveals the ache in her heart that continued. I can almost picture her as she does this. I can almost see her face because I've experienced that. I've laughed that same laugh. It was in the thick of our marriage and no one knew what was going on. Remember, I felt very unseen and unknown in my new town. And I had a dear friend uh, on her way out. She turned to me and said, I just want to encourage you. I feel like God is going to use your marriage like a city on a hill. And I was like, I'm sorry, what was that? I don't think I quite heard that. Um, Sorry. She said, I feel like God is going to use your marriage like a city on a hill, and it's going to be as light to others. And as she said that, I could just feel my heart ache that all the nights I had cried myself to sleep, all the times I had asked God to change my circumstances, all the ways I felt broken and alone, and she had no idea what was going on. And what was meant to be encouragement from a friend actually just furthered and affirmed in my heart that I felt unseen and unknown. I laughed because it seemed ridiculous. But God in his goodness didn't leave me there, and he doesn't leave Sarah there. Sarah laughs, and God calls her out. I love this. In verse 13, he asks, why did Sarah laugh? And can you just imagine in the immediate reaction out of fear, she says, I did not laugh. Oh, no, 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 God. Not me. I didn't laugh. She's been exposed. God knows her heart. He hears her thoughts. And I can just imagine this moment, how quickly every terrible thought, every lie she let herself believe, every narrative she took on, every story that she created, all of the angerness, all of bitter, all of the arguing flashes before her eyes because, oh my gosh, he knows. He sees. She says, I did not laugh. But God in his goodness does not let her get away with it. He presses again further, further to deepen the fact that he knows her and that he sees her. But he doesn't do it to condemn her. He doesn't put his finger on things in our lives to condemn us. He does it to comfort her. And he says, no, but you did laugh. We don't know how Sarah responds immediately to this, but what we do see in Genesis 21 is that one year later, 
when the promise has been delivered and Sarah is holding her baby in her arms, she declares, God made laughter for me. Everyone who hears me will laugh over me. God had changed her laugh from bitterness to joy and from hidden to a declaration over her life. What seemed ridiculous and out of reach to Sarah became the testimony and banner over her life. God sees me. Maybe you feel like Sarah and it feels like God is taking too long to fulfill the promise. God's word to you today is that he sees you. He sees you. Sometimes we feel like God doesn't see us because a promise is delayed, but sometimes it's because we feel like he's doing us wrong, right? It's taking too long. We're not getting the answers that we want. He's given us these promises, but we're still living this, with this ache. God, you've done me wrong. In other times, it's we've done God wrong. Maybe it's because of past choices or your current circumstances that you're currently living in. The good news is we can find a friend in the Samaritan woman. So turn your, turn your Bibles quickly to John chapter 4. And we're going to take a quick look at Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman. We know her, many of us, as women at the well. And there are many good reasons this woman felt excluded and unseen. To the Jews, she was the wrong gender. She was the wrong race. But even amongst her own people, she was an outcast because of her adulterous lifestyle. We know this because she goes to the well at noon, at the hottest time of the day. And this was definitely an unusual time for anyone to be drawing water from the well, which is exactly why she went. She didn't want to be seen. She was avoiding the looks. She was avoiding the rejection. She may have wanted to avoid others, but Jesus had no intention of avoiding her. In fact, he intentionally sought her out. On his way to Galilee, we see in verse 4, it says he had to pass through Samaria. Let me say that again with the emphasis in the right way. He had to pass through Samaria. Now, the quickest way from Jerusalem to Galilee was to pass through Samaria. However, Jews often took an additional six days to go around Samaria. They even crossed the river, an extra river just to avoid going through Samaria, but not Jesus. He deliberately takes the route straight through to Samaria. He knew she'd be there. He goes to where she's hiding. Jesus came to reach her where he was, where she was, to reach her as she was. Jesus came to reach her where she was, to reach her as she was. He breaks, he breaks cultural stereotypes, cultural norms. He breaks down barriers to her heart, and he asks her to give him a drink. Surprised, she responds, a Jew asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? But as they continue to talk, and he tells her about this living water that she can have, that she would never have to return to the well that causes her to thirst over and over, of course, she wants it. She wants to know more. He begins to soften her heart and to prick her curiosity. And he gently opens a wound to this woman's heart so that his eternal healing can begin. Sometimes that's what it feels like, doesn't it? You might feel that prick starting this weekend. Some people brought words about um, being brought to conviction or God wanting to bring freedom or healing or truth where you've been believing lies. Sometimes it is his kindness 
that he softens us and brings us to this desperate need for him. And he says, go call your husband and come here. She replies, I have no husband. Can you just imagine the tension and the likely shame in this woman's life? What she may have felt as the very thing that she is trying to avoid, the very reason why she came to the well at noon so that she didn't have to have this conversation. And yet the man standing before her did not condemn, come to condemn her, but he came to save her. He did not come to reject her, but he came to accept her. She gave a truthful but incomplete answer. Have you ever done that? You share just enough that you can get away with it where you don't feel like you're lying, but you don't let them all the way in. And this is what she does. Jesus knows her heart, and he understands her hurt. He comprehends her sin. He sees her, and he's still there. Probably no one else had done that in her life. No one else had looked and saw who she was and stuck around. Jesus replies in verse 17, you're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you are now with is not your husband. What you said is true. And I can just imagine with five past failed relationships, the identities that this woman might have started to take on, the hopelessness, the insecurity, being cast aside and rejected and unseen. And as failure and rejection start to settle in and she takes these on as new identities, she may have felt like she had nowhere else to go but to live with this man out of wedlock. But rather than condemn her, Jesus called her to see her sin and her true need for a Savior. And with compassion, Jesus reveals that he knows her completely. The secrets of her heart are known by him, and he loves her so deeply. The secrets of your heart are known by him, and he loves you so deeply. Knowing the worst, Jesus offers her his best. And she begins to wonder who he might be. Who is this, she says. Are you maybe a prophet? In her heart, she knows that the promised Messiah is coming, and she confesses longingly that she's been living this, with this hope that one day he will come, that one day he will tell her all things. She says, I know that the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he will tell all things. She knew, even though she was outcast and rejected by her own people, that when the Messiah came, it was, he was for her also. Though she's in the wrong place at the wrong time, the wrong religion, the wrong gender, an outcast in society, Jesus replies, I am the one. I, the one who is speaking to you, am he. Can you just imagine as she hears those words, the revelation that's coming in her heart, this hope that she has been living for, this Messiah, she has just been exposed. And yet through love and compassion and care, Jesus does not reject her but he draws her near. And as life starts to begin to well up, she is filled with this excitement. That's, and she came to the well for physical refreshment, but she left with so much more. But here's the thing. Her circumstances did not change. Her status in society did not change. Her reality did not change, but she had an encounter with a living God, and she was changed. 
That's the beautiful thing of this weekend, ladies, is that we have had an encounter with God and we can be changed. And as a result, she runs back to the village and she tells everyone she encounters, come see the man who told me everything I ever did. Time out. When is that ever a good thing? (laughs) I don't know about you, but if there was a man that told me everything I ever did, I would be going the opposite direction. I would be going back into hiding. I would not make eye contact and I would see how quickly I could skirt away. Under normal circumstances, I'd be running in the opposite direction, but Jesus is not normal circumstances. In normal circumstances, we hide our wrongs. We protect our shame, but Jesus redeems our wrongs and he removes our shame. He's the one who knows everything we have ever done. In word after word that's been coming, I feel like there's this pursuit on us because I feel like there is more. I feel like God's begun to do things in us and I feel like we have started to get soft and I feel like we have started to open the crack in that door that we do not let anybody in, but I feel like he is continuing to persist in saying, beloved, it all. I see it all. You don't have to hide because I did not come to condemn, but I came to comfort. I see you and I am here and I am good and I am safe and I love you. He is our high priest and she knew this and she did not run from him, but she ran to him. For some, this is new news. You're hearing it for the first time. Maybe the gospel is new to you. Maybe your walk with Jesus is new to you. And it's just exciting and it's amazing. And I would just say, relish in it, love it, enjoy getting to know him as your savior. But for some of us, we've been going at this for quite a while. And I feel like maybe we've gotten dull to the voice, dull to the promises, dull to the truths that are coming. And God wants to turn up the volume. He wants to awaken those things that feel almost non-responsive or apathetic. Or maybe you hope God has forgotten you because of the mistakes you made and the choices you've made. We heard earlier that it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. I remember years back, I was sharing a frustration with a friend. And as I was sharing it, some verbal vomit came out of my mouth. And it was ugly and it was gross. And as soon as I left, as soon as it left my mouth, all I wanted to do was run and hide. In fact, I got this picture of myself running to our extra bedroom upstairs, getting next to the bed and actually crouching down and crawling in and hiding. But instead, the gentle conviction of a friend, the gentle conviction of the Lord through community, through a friend, brought me so quickly to repentance that actually I could receive the gentleness of God saying, that's ugliness in your heart and I want to bring freedom. You don't have to live with this bitterness that actually will absolutely imprison you. But I can bring freedom. So I feel like he's stirring in our hearts conviction that he wants to bring. And sisters, let's not run from it. Like I said, sometimes it's so painful to just sit. It's easier to blame. It's easier to be mad, but let's be willing to be women who are willing to sit in the pain. 
The testimony of Sarah and the Samaritan woman is that God still sees you. David says in Psalm 139, where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, you are there. If I settle on the far side of the sea, you are there. Even your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. He's saying as high as you can go, as low as you can go, from the east, from the west, there is nowhere that you can go that I will not find you. And I think there's maybe been times in our life where that actually feels a little intimidating, where that feels a little scary, but actually it is comfort to us today. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, no matter how alone and how unseen you feel, he is a God who sees. He sees you and he loves you. He is, wants to continue to encounter you and to change you. And actually, there are three ladies here today that have had words that I feel like are very specific to where we're at. If I can bring up Blessing and Jen and Betsy. And each of them, I feel like, are for someone or for a group of people in this room. Can I get a mic? Come on up, ladies. I'm going to have you share first blessing. Yeah. Um, hi again. So I have this um, plant beside my house that I planted. Um, it's called bitter leaf. Um, so it's a plant that is very healthy. It is very nutritious. But the thing about that particular plant is that it is very bitter. So even if you touch it with your hands, taste your fingers, you'll be like, ooh, what did I just do? That is how bitter it is. But um, so what I do sometimes, um, like I said, it's very medicinal. So sometimes I wash it, um, drink the juice. I either um, wash out the bitterness, use the um, shaft to cook soup, whatever. I use it different ways. So there was never a time that a plant looked at me and said, hey, I don't want you to wash me today. I just want you to chew me the way I am. It has never spoken to me in any way. <laughs> no, it hasn't. So this, this, just, this just brought the reminder. I felt like God was saying, as believers, sometimes we want to tell him how we want to be handled. Mm. We want to tell him, oh, Jesus, this is what I want you to do today. I don't want you to lead me in this path. I want you to go this way. I want you to go that way. That is what we do. And sometimes we end up injuring the walk of God in our life if we feel like we know better. The Bible says his plan for us, his desire is to give us a hope, an expected end, and a future. There is no how we know that we can know more than he does because he sees the end even from the beginning. So I just want to encourage you where you're at today that you should be open. Open up your heart to God to say, Lord, I am committing myself through this conference to say I need you to Direct me. I am in total submission. There's a scripture in um, Jeremiah 18 that talks about something similar. In verse 6, he said, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter? Saith the Lord. Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. Praise God. Mm. I actually had a dream last night. And um, I felt like it was for us. 
Uh, and so in the dream, I was actually talking to two girls who are actually here, um, and it was important because one of them is from the Lake Church and the other one was from Kansas City, and I just felt like that was significant because it was kind of like, hey, it covers a variety of churches, so wherever you're at today, whether it be physically or emotionally, I feel like this could potentially be for you. And in the dream, these two girls were talking to me essentially about their ailments and their struggles. They're like, I've just been so emotional. I've been tearful. I'm crying all the time. I just feel nauseous. I feel fatigued. And we were seeking to try to find the solution, like what's going on? Like what's the source for this? And I just felt like I said, well, maybe we should do a pregnancy test. And so we did a pregnancy test, and it was positive. And I felt like that shifted from being this thing of, like, ailment, something's wrong, to, oh, God's, like, growing something inside of me that's going to be birthed. And I felt like that was a spiritual significance here. There's actually things that you've been going through that you're like, I don't understand this. It's painful. I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. I'm fatigued. I'm just weary. And God is revealing to you, actually, I've been growing something in you that's about to be birthed. So that's actually what it is. And the cool thing about it was is the one girl said to me, oh, my gosh, I haven't had a period since March. That totally makes sense. It was kind of this, like, oh. And when I did the math, that would be essentially this baby is due in December. So I felt like this was a significant thing, like that that date was brought up. But this year, like the ending of this year, is God's wanting to birth something. So now that you can change your perspective to hope and anticipation and preparation for something that's going to be birthed. So praise God. Um, Last night when we had our quiet time, I um, I went back to Psalm 40, um, one of the psalms that I'd been sitting in when I was in this season of insomnia that um, was just hanging on. Um, And I felt him just point out something new, so I'm going to read it to you. Um, He lifted me out. I'll start at um, Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. And when I looked at this, I thought, yeah, God, I like, he's been doing a new thing in me. He's, he's given me healing and I've been sleeping for six weeks and he's not just lifting me out of that pit now, but he's doing a healing and taking off the mud and mire that stuck to me when I was in that pit, those, the habits that I had and the thoughts that I had, and he's making a new thing. So I just wanted to bring that because I think God is doing new things here too in all of us. Whether, um, you know, you found yourself in that pit and it was years ago and there's still wounds from that that you need healing from, or whether it was yesterday and something that was really difficult and, and like God wants to lift us from that pit and he wants to clean us up. And it's not us that's doing the cleaning He's doing it that. But there's a few things that I learned in that season of being in the pit, um, going through the Psalms and seeing how David responded to God when he was in a cave hiding for his life. Search your hearts and be silent. Mm -hmm. Sometimes God wants us to just be silent Mm -hmm. and sit with him and listen. Mm -hmm. Have thanksgiving. Come to God and with gratitude, start thinking of the things he's done for you, Mm. the things he's done in your past and the things he's doing right now, and also thank him for the promises he has for your future, not just salvation and forgiveness and, you know, forever with him in heaven, but he's given other promises in your life Mm. that he's going to use these hard things in your life right now for a future win. Mm. And then also praise the Lord. Mm-hmm. Think of his attributes, mm-hmm. his loving kindness, his faithfulness to you. Mm-hmm. Those things never change. And we can 
even when we're in the pit, God can, like, worship just lifts us out. It, yeah. it can elevate us yeah. even when we're still in that difficult season. Yeah. And so I just want to bring us all to encourage you, do not despise this season or this these difficulties that you're experiencing because God has something in that that he's doing, which isn't just me going through a hard time, but it can develop a perseverance, which can develop mm-hmm. a character and a hope, which no one can take from you and which yeah. other people around you can see and be encouraged when your eyes are on the Lord. Yeah. And so I um, just wanted to exhort us and um, read these promises um, from Psalm mm. 103. Um, Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise the Lord. Mm. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Mm -hmm. Who forgives all your sins Mm. and heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion? Mm. Who satisfies your desires with good things? so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Amen. Let's take a few minutes. God is speaking with us today. We're going to turn up the house music, grab out your journals, and I've got a couple questions for us to just spend time responding to. Maybe you'll get through them all. Maybe, maybe you feel like God's giving you something else to journal about. It's just a guide. But where do you feel like God is nudging you to respond? You know, we've talked about healing or hurts or waiting on God. But for some of you, I think you're getting nudged in a way that's being called out and called up. I think it's easy to to be in a room like this and to be part of a weekend where you see people up front or you see people doing certain things and you think like, I could never do that. Like, that's not for me. I'm not that gifted. I'm not that equipped. God doesn't have those good things for me. Beloved, he sees you and he's put good things in you. Maybe your next step of obedience is actually saying yes to an opportunity that you've been given. Maybe what do you need to surrender to and experience a deeper freedom from God? What do you need to invite or where do you need to invite community in that you have been too afraid to take that next step of vulnerability? Let's take a couple minutes and just respond quietly in our hearts journaling through some of this. God's been speaking to us all weekend long. We don't want to rush out. We don't want to miss this. Let's just take a couple minutes.